Revelation 19, verse 1, after these things, let's stop right there. Just real quick, after these things, after what things, we need to ask ourselves. And so remember, John, the Apostle John is the one receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book is all about Jesus. It's the uncovering, unveiling of Jesus and all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his splendor. And even in the midst of judgment in chapter 6 all the way up to chapter 19, We've seen the beauty of Jesus in many special ways and in and, and, and glorious ways. And now the judgments have finally finished. And for some of us, I know it was taxing trying to get through, um, fatiguing to get through those chapters. But again, as we read those and study those, there's so much we can learn about Jesus and, and get to know and understand his ways. And, and now we've moved into chapter 19 and we're right at the precipice, right at the edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up his kingdom. And we're going to see that later in chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. But it says after these things, after the judgments, something happens. The, sh the, the focus shifts from earth now to heaven. And we see what's happening in heaven at the end of these judgments. So let's pick it up in verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. Amen. Amen. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and and great, and so the call to continue to worship, and then look at the immediate response in verse 6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And so we see heaven break out with hallelujah, with praise the Lord. And, and, and we learn that praise is fitting for who God is, correct? He is Savior. He is judge. Everything he does is righteous and true. And so we learn about praise. We learn about worship and, and the importance of praise. And we also learn what heaven teaches us about praise, that there's a continual praising of the Lord going on in heaven. And guess what? One day we will be in this scene. 
We will be in this beautiful scene. We're going to be taking part in this celebration. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for all eternity, we're going to be blown away with different facets of God's grace. How awesome it's going to be. Well, we'll talk more about heaven as we work our way through. And so John hears this voice of a great multitude, loud. Um, it's, it shakes. It shakes. It's thunderous. Um, praise and worship is loud and enthusiastic, we see as we study these verses. I would also point out just a couple observations before we get into verse uh, 7, is that heaven is packed. The Father's house is packed with believers, with all of God's children, praising Him. And notice their recognition of God's worth is not half-hearted. Their recognition of God's ways is not half-hearted. It's not with, with lips and not with the hearts. Everybody is on the same page proclaiming God's worth for who he is, his works, his ways. Again, today is a great day to start if you're not praising him now, to give him thanks, to get our eyes on him, off of us, off our circumstances, and onto the Lord. And then look at verse 7 where we left off. Um, there's this call, this, this, this instruction, this exhortation, if you will, in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let's be excited, full of joy, and give him glory. Let's, and, and when we hear glory, giving God glory, you know, it's kind of an elusive term. What does it mean to give God glory? What does that even mean? You know, we say that, don't we? We're going to give God all the glory. What does that mean? One way that I like to just remember it is to make him look good. If we're taking the glory, we're making ourselves look good. But if we're giving him the glory, we are making him look good. And so there's this encouragement for everyone there in this scene to rejoice, to, to be excited, to give the Lord glory. And then what's the next reason to give him glory? For is a reason word. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Isn't this beautiful? We get to learn about a marriage today. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody excited about that? Yes. How about you guys who have been married a while? Listen, I love, I shared this in the first service. I love doing weddings. It's so awesome to see two lives come together and God makes them one miraculously, supernaturally. It's so amazing. In fact, I love standing here with the groom and he's kind of nervous and kind of teary-eyed, and then all of a sudden the doors open up. I wish we had the, whoop, that'd be cool. And there is the bride standing, looking amazing. And sometimes the groom will start to weep and start to cry, and I'll have to you know, tell him, hey, come on, suck it. It's okay, suck it up, buttercup. You know, you're going to be okay. But it, oftentimes it's like, dude, check it out. She looks amazing, doesn't she? And doesn't a bride want to do that on her wedding to look the best she possibly can? Correct, brides? You don't come in rollers and like, <laughs> right? You want to look the best you possibly can. It's your special day. Listen, and I share this often at marriages. This is a, or a wedding. This is a great wedding, but the best is yet to come. The greatest wedding, service, feast, supper. And we're going to look at that this morning for the marriage of the lamb. Who's the lamb? 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then it says his wife has made herself ready. So who's uh, the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ? We are the church, right? Where does it tell us that? If you're taking notes, and I may get a little technical, please hang with me today uh, until the end. Don't bail out. Don't get sleepy. It's important that we know these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is amazing to me because remember the church of Corinth? They were pretty jacked up, weren't they? You guys remember Corinth? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he said, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul's like, I can't, I'm looking forward to that day when I present you to Jesus as a chaste, the Corinthian church, a chaste virgin. But that's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jude, Jude finishes his letter by saying to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his exceeding before his glory with exceeding joy. It's going to make Jesus really happy to present us to the Father with exceeding joy, completely faultless, completely spotless. If you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, and this is in the midst of the exhortation and instruction and commands for husbands. Husbands, this is verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish and Paul would say later, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so the picture is Jesus being the groom and us being the bride of Christ. And that relationship, that husband-wife relationship is to reflect that. That's a great amen, wherever that came from. Awesome. And so let's get back to Revelation 19 just for a moment here. And let's look at this. And so the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church has been prepared. All the necessary preparations have made. It says that there. His wife has made herself ready. And I, I need to point this out. We are already in heaven before the second coming. Did you guys see that? We are already in heaven before the second coming. The second coming is in verses 11 through 21. How did that happen? The rapture of the church. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Jesus coming for his bride. And so the passage teaches us that the rapture and the second coming of Christ to this earth are two separate events separated by a certain amount of time, in my opinion, um, at least seven years. No amens? Okay. My own distorted opinion. You can take that or leave that. And so the marriage ceremony will take place in heaven, check this out, after the rapture and before the second coming. That makes sense? Everybody down that? This is so important because it, 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 
we see this in the biblical imagery of the Jewish wedding system. And we've talked about this before. We just finished the, the book, The Song of Solomon. You guys remember that beautiful picture of the groom um, and his bride? And so the Jewish wedding system points us to our Lord Jesus Christ, the groom, and us, the bride of Christ. And so how, did it, how, did it, how does it roll out, the Jewish wedding system? How about in ancient times, what would happen is the bride would be chosen. Number one, the bride would be chosen. Number two, a bride price would be paid. There would be a price paid for the bride, and then a covenant was made as well. Is any of this starting to sound familiar? The price is paid, covenant is made. I was thinking about a rap song that would work to this. Someone said, someone showed me afterwards, yeah, we could throw in there, and we are saved, and I don't know. Just a way to remember it. And so listen, once the covenant was made between the families, okay, the price is paid, the covenant is made, the groom would go back to his father's house, the bride would stay with her family, and that period of separation is called the betrothal period or the engagement period where they would be separated for at least one year. During that time, what would the bride be doing? She would be staying prepared. She would be getting her wedding dress made. She would be pre preparing herself for that day when the groom would show up. Check this out, unannounced. He could come at any moment, any time of the day, any time of the night. He could show up and the wedding's on. Can you imagine gals having your hair done, nails ready all the time? And so the groom, what would the groom be doing? He would be back at the father's house doing a construction project. He would be building a place for the couple. Once they became married, they would have a place on their land, on that land, in the father's house as well. And so the, when would the groom know to go get the bride? The father would tell the groom, okay, green light, go. The son didn't know. It was the father who would tell the son when it was time to go pick up his bride. Isn't that cool? Little nugget too. So he would come, and we learned this in the Song of Solomon. He would have this big, uh, kind of like a Cinderella. Did she? Have, she had some kind of chariot, didn't? Or what was it? Some kind of what was it? Carriage. But this didn't have wheels. The dudes would carry this carriage to come get her, to lift her up, and to take her to the father's house where the marriage ceremony would take place. Beautiful, and uh, we also learn in Song of Solomon where the marriage would be uh, consummated as well. And so there would be a celebration that followed seven days. Seven day celebration. I mean, that's kind of weird though, having your honeymoon and everybody's there. Isn't that kind of weird to some of you? I'm like, that'd be really cool, man. I have DJ for seven days. <laughs> Whatever. But does this sound familiar to y'all? We, the bride of Christ, have we been chosen? We're, every one of us, first round draft picks. How beautiful is that? But don't we have to choose? Yes. Are we chosen? Yes. How does that work out? I don't know. Do we choose or are we chosen? Yes. How do you figure that out, Pastor? I don't. I rejoice. Amen. That's what the book teaches. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Sometimes in the Jewish wedding system also, the groom would give the bride a ring also. And it's interesting because we have an engagement ring too, and he is called the Holy Spirit. In fact, listen to what it says in Ephesians 1. Verse 13, in him, speaking of Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee or the arbona or the engagement ring of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as an engagement ring to let us know how serious he is about us being with him for all eternity. How glorious that is. Has the price been paid for us? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Has a covenant been made too? Is there, you guys with me still this morning? Is there a covenant? Has a covenant been made too? Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul said on the night when, on the, uh, on the same night in which Jesus, our Lord, was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How awesome is that? Every time we take the communion cup, we're proclaiming that Jesus died for me and that he's coming back for me as well. So a price has been paid, a bride chosen, a price has been paid, a covenant has been made. Is Jesus preparing a place for us right now in the Father's house? Wow. So all these kind of verses that are kind of, uh, kind of out there, now we kind of piece it together a little bit. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that awesome? Does that kind of come for anybody's hearts this morning or no? He's preparing a place for you and me right now in the Father's house for us, the bride. So beautiful. And currently, what is the bride doing? Eating bonbons, chilling out? What are we doing? Are we preparing? Are we, being, are we preparing for his return? We should be. If not, 1 John tells us how to do such things. 
Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Jesus. Stay connected. Real, fresh, current in your relationship with him. Abide in him that when he appears, when he shows up, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, do you guys know he's righteous? You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him. Do you have this hope in him this morning? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we walk in purity. We walk in holiness, our lives set apart for the Lord's use, right? Allowing the Lord to work in us, to mold us, to shape us, and and to be ready for his return, looking for his return, because his return, Jesus said it would be like a a blank in the night, a, a thief in the night. How does a thief come in the night? That sounded right. Does he give you a text message? I'm coming at 12.07. No, does he do that? Like alert you? Unexpected, without warning. Any moment. The groom is going to show up for his bride at any moment. And what's, again, the groom doesn't know. Isn't that interesting too? Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour Except the father. The father's going to tell the son when it's time to go and come get us. That's beautiful, isn't it? And when the father says it's go time, the son comes to fetch the bride. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the, you think he's excited? I, I think he's excited. I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I've been even practicing. My vertical's not quite where it was. (laughs) Some of you get that later. That's totally cool. (laughs) The Lord himself would descend from heaven. How? With a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him where in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus We shall always be with the Lord. The rapture, harpazo, the catching away of the bride of Christ. He is going to bring us back to the Father's house. And so there's going to be a private wedding ceremony, the consummation. There's going to be a glorious uh, wedding that's going to happen. And that's going to be the best wedding to be a part of. Wedding, supper, the whole bit. Now let's come back to Revelation 19.8. I think I covered that all about the Jewish wedding system. Hopefully it makes sense. If not, come see me afterwards. Don't try to play stump the pastor with me, though. I don't have have time for that. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, this is so beautiful, and to, who's her? The bride, the church, it was granted to be arrayed, her adornment, what she's wearing is fine linen, clean and bright, 
for the fine linen, what is the fine linen? Is the righteous acts of the saints. And so the bride of Christ, us, we are wearing shiny, glorious white linen. And then we're told what the fine linen is. The fine linen is the righteous acts, the right on stuff that God's servants have done for him. Righteous acts. Acts speaks of works. Those righteous acts, I need to make sure I clarify myself this morning. Those righteous acts are not to earn righteousness. All of our own righteousnesses are filthy rags in God's sight. All of our efforts to try to earn heaven, work our way to heaven, God says that's dirty, filthy, stinking, unacceptable. In fact, it tells us in, I'm going to read it, in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, you guys know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We receive that free gift of eternal life, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, check this out, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's so beautiful. So those righteous acts that we're reading about, those righteous deeds are not to earn righteousness, but the acts of love that we do for Jesus when we serve him, when we witness for him, when we're about his business, doing things motivated by love for our Savior and love for others. Positionally, we are declared righteous upon putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? He who, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 61. I'm going to read it. It's one of my favorite uh, verses. Isaiah was like totally stoked. Listen to what he says. Hopefully this will make you rejoice too this morning if you haven't realized it. 61.10, Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Why are you so stoked, Isaiah? Check this out. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? So it's God who clothes us with the robe of righteousness that we might get into heaven when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, again, we're going to be presented in heaven as a pure virgin. But we learned something from our passage this morning that part of our adornment in heaven, what we're arrayed in, what we're wearing, is what we did for Jesus. Righteous acts speaks of what we do after we are saved. The good works motivated by love in faithfulness. And by the way, these acts that we do, these righteous deeds, will be judged or evaluated by Jesus Christ. Did you guys know that this morning? There's, there's two judgments that we're going to be talking about this week and then in a couple more weeks. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his free gift of salvation, you will stand before God and be found guilty and then be sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity. 
And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it, I would say, listen, it's not an accident you're here today if you don't know Jesus personally and haven't received the free gift of eternal life. There was a young lady that got saved first service. It was like totally amazing. Taken from darkness to light, out of the, the kingdom of, of Satan into the kingdom of God. Set free, forgiven. No longer her... her her destination changed for all eternity. And maybe that's you this morning, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is the most important decision you will ever make because you will have to stand before God, if not, at the great white throne judgment. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Bema seat judgment of Christ, where believers, each one of us will have to stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives to him. And there's going to be no weaseling our way out of it either. You know what I'm saying? Well, where does it say that, Pastor? I'm going to get to it. Romans chapter 14, if you're taking notes. I told you this would be a little bit technical, but isn't it important to know that you're going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account? And you want to be rewarded, don't you? No, you don't like rewards? I, I don't like rewards. I don't want to be blessed. He's got rewards for us. Store up your treasures in heaven, Jesus says. This is, uh, the Apostle Paul teaches us about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. This is Romans 14, verse uh, 10. He he said to the church, because they're judging each other, coming down on one another, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, listen, each of us shall give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then 1 Corinthians, please listen to this, chapter 3. This is Paul lays it out a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 3. And remember what was going on in Corinth? They're all like fighting over the pastors. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a Paul. I'm of Apollos. No, I follow this dude. This is my pastor. This is... And Paul's like, man, you guys are a bunch of babies. You're still in huggies. Because of your pride, because of your selfishness, your fighting. And, and then he lays it out here. He says, he says listen, we're, we're just ministers, man. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's all about God. Amen. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants And he who waters are one. In other words, we're a team together serving the Lord. And check this out. Each one, though, will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's so crucial. You'll be rewarded according to your own labor, not results. You guys catch me on that. According to your own labor. Because think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah. How many converts did Jeremiah have? 
That's right. Give him an extra donut across the way. Goose egg for Jeremiah. But think about how blessed we are. The church has been, the bride of Christ has been. Right? And so he says there, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But listen, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. You take heed to your life. Are you building on the right foundation? If you're building on the world's foundation, if you're building your kingdom in this world, guess what? You're building on the wrong foundation. You're in, if you're investing in that which is temporal versus investing in that which is eternal. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. Why? For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. You still tracking with me, y'all? If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Did you guys catch that? So we're all going to have to stand before Jesus. And the, 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 the testing of our works, the evaluation of our works, listen, will be done by fire. And some of the things we've done will be precious, like silver and gold. Other stuff will be what? Will be like wood and like, uh, like plants or whatever. And so we, we, pull up, we pull up with our grocery cart full of works, and the fire hits it, boom. That's how I picture it. And anything that's left over is part of the reward that Jesus gives us, which is, I'm going to get to it in just a minute, part of our adornment in heaven. And some of the stuff we do, right? Some of the stuff we do, we do to be seen by men. Let's just, can we be real this morning, Correct. Or not motivated by love. We want people to see us. Self-glory. Our efforts are done in the flesh. That stuff is going to burn up in a pinch of ash. Just like that. Boom. Gone. The stuff we do motivated by love. To the glory of God. Being faithful to what he's called us to do. To witness. To serve. Those good works he's prepared already for us to walk in. That's what's going to last. Some of us. You're going to hear this message. Oh, you're a believer, you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, hallelujah. But you're not going to walk in what God has for you. And what's going to happen? Paul said, your work gets burned, you suffer loss, but you're, you're still saved, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So you'll get in with your smoking robe, is the idea. <laughs> you're a little singed on the back side. But you're in, hallelujah, you're in. But I, this text is teaching us back in Revelation 19. Let's get back over there. Um, the stuff we do, motivated by love, listen, will matter. It will be permanent. Those things that remain after the fire will be our adornment, what we're wearing in heaven. I'm not sure how it works or what it will look like, but what you and I do here will matter to you there. 
What, let me repeat that. What you and I do here will matter to you there. We, in other words, how about this? We create our own outfit in heaven or for heaven. Sporting the adornment of our works. And again, think about it, you gals that were brides on your wedding day. Isn't it to, wasn't it to be as beautiful as you could be? Was it or no? No, again, curlers in the hair. Is that what happened? Your, your robe? Did you pull in your robe? <laughs> your bathrobe? <laughs> no. Man, you want to look the best you possibly can. That should be our heart for our Jesus. That we're going to see him any moment taken to the Father's house for this amazing marriage. This amazing service. Well, what did the angel say? Look at verse 9. Tour guide angel. Then he said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed means, oh, how happy is the man, or oh, how spiritually prosperous is the man or woman. Those that are invited to Jesus' special marriage feast, and it is going to be awesome, all of God's people together for this feast. Don't miss out on this. Again, it's not an accident you're here this morning. It's a big deal to Jesus. The angel also tells John, these are the true sayings of God. What is being communicated is inerrant, perfect. These are the error-free words of God. Listen, this morning, this will be a reality in our lives. These things are part of our future. This is going to happen. And the angel's like, make sure you write this down. These are the true words of God. This is going to happen. This is legit, man. And so be prepared. Be ready for our groom. And what was John's response? What's John's response to seeing all this? The, the glory of heaven, the, the angels and the church and the, the bride and the groom. Look what John does. Next verse. And it says, and John gave a high five to the angel. Is that what it says? High, high wing tip. Wasn't that lame? I said share that first service too. Isn't that, wasn't that lame, the whole deal we were doing for a while? Give me one of those, dude. Give me an elbow. I had to ask for forgiveness on that too. I'll do it again. I'm sorry. It's... What does it say? Look, look, look at God's word. Listen, what does it say? And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is so good. So all of a sudden, John, and he's overwhelmed, no doubt, this whole scene and what does he do? He falls at the tour guide angel's feet, and he's going to do it again in chapter 22 a little later. He makes this, you guys ever make the same mistake twice? Would you put it on, on page so everybody would know for all eternity, by the way? We'd hide it. He, at least he's real. He's like, I fell at his feet. And, and I think here's the deal this morning. It's possible that John made the same mistake we sometimes do. 
And what is that, Mike? The tendency to worship the vessel or the instrument that God uses. It can happen to any of us. You know what I'm talking about? We get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the person that God is using. That happens. And I, again, I shared earlier, we're just hoses. Did you guys catch that? We're just hoses. What? We're just hoses. You guys ever use your hose in your garden, in your house? How about after you do your lawn? You guys do your lawn? Anybody here do your lawn? No? You get people to do it? You do your, you remember doing your lawn? You, you, do, <laughs> you do your lawn, right? You get all hot, sweaty. In the summer, summer in Houston, right? Lawn's like, gets jacked up quick, right? You cut your lawn. You're hot, you're sweaty, but you got the, the clip, clippings, right? They're all over you, and you can't go in the house, and you're thirsty. And so what do you do? You go to the hose. And you, right, you guys, right? You do that, and then, but, you, but what do you do first? You let, it, you let it run for a minute, don't you? Why? Because it's hot, coming straight out. Right? And then what happens? You give it a, you feel, oh, now it's cool. Oh, it's so, it's so good, right? And you wash it. Yeah, you take a little bath. Oh, I feel so good. Refreshing. Cleansing. So good. But it still tastes like rubber. It still has a rubber taste, doesn't it? That's what I'm saying. We're just hoses. We are, we are instruments, conduits of refreshment into the lives of others. But we still have that rubber taste, don't we? The flesh. You know what I'm talking about? We don't, we don't lift up the hose. Wow, what a beautiful hose. Way to go, hose. I mean, do you do that with your, after the surgeon does surgery on you? Do you go in and talk to the scalpel? Oh, scalpel. Beautiful scalpel here. Check out the scalpel. No, what do you say? Doc, way to go. Give me an elbow. No, don't give me an elbow. It's lame. Say, way to go, doc. Thanks. You took care of me. Awesome. That's who we praise. We praise the Lord. That's what the angel's saying. Don't do that. Stop what you're doing. And I think it's interesting because, remember, Lucifer, Satan, he was a fallen angel. That's what he was looking for. Here's a faithful angel. And this angel's like, no, don't do that. It's not about me. It's not about how many people I can manipulate to do my will or to, to gather around me. It's about God. He says, we're both servants. I love this. We're both servants. And angels are, Hebrews 1.14, last verse of Hebrews chapter 1. Angels are ministering spirits sent to who? To minister to those who will inherit salvation. And so angels and us, we both get to serve the Lord. And not only that, he says we're connected as family because we've received the witness of Jesus Christ. I'm of, of your brethren who have the testimony, and all of us have the testimony of Jesus. You have a testimony for Jesus here if you are born again. If you're walking with Jesus Christ, you have a testimony in your life. What a great reminder. What is he saying here? It's not about me. It's not about you. We're just servants. We're just servants, and we are simply to bear witness, to go on record about Jesus Christ with our lives and with our lips. I love that. What a cool angel. And he says what? Worship God. 
It's about the Lord. There's no human being worthy of your worship. We are to worship God alone. And then he finishes what? What does he say? For the testimony, the witness of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do, what he's said, his works, his ways. It is all about Jesus. That's what prophecy is all about. Do you know it's all about Jesus this morning? Do you know the whole book, the whole Bible is about Jesus? The Lord said that. Jesus said that. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. It's the whole volume. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me, Jesus said. It's all about Jesus. The entire Bible, every bit of prophecy speaks of Jesus, is connected with Jesus in some way. The true spirit of prophecy always manifests itself in bearing witness to Jesus. Every prophecy in the Bible is designed to point you and I to the person and work of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation. Guys, remember the, the two dudes on the road to Emmaus? You guys remember that? Yes. When did that happen? You guys remember when that happened? After the crucifixion, resurrection Sunday. Remember the two dudes? One dude's name was... Starts with C, rhymes with Neopis. Cleopas, thank you. The two dudes are walking. They're bummed, aren't they? They're sad. They got their heads bowed. They're like kicking, you know, cruising. Just left Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, who shows up? Isn't that great? The Lord shows up when you're bummed. He just pulls right into the scene. Glorified, resurrected body. By the way, we're going to get to do that too. Isn't that cool? When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's what the book says. Jesus, and their eyes were restrained. They didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus started to ask some questions. Because he was in the dark. Is that why? Was he like, why are you guys so sad? Did Jesus not know why they were sad? What is this conversation you're having? Why are you so bummed? Did Jesus not know why they were bummed? He knew exactly. And they're walking along, right? And they're talking. And they were saying what? We thought he was the one. The hope of Israel. We thought he was the Messiah, the Savior. He's crucified, dead. Some of the girls said they had an encounter with him. But, you know, they're emotional this morning. And what did Jesus say? He, he rebukes them. He called them foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the scriptures spoke concerning the Christ and his suffering. In other words, they lost their hope because they left the word of God and the fulfillment of God's word. The promises of God's word. The person that it all points to. And so what did Jesus do? Isn't it beautiful? When we're without hope, when we're bummed, he gave a Bible study. He expounded on all the whole Bible, all the scriptures concerning himself. Can you imagine what a Bible study? How good was that? 
So they're cruising, right, head to Emmaus. Jesus is like, man, just this killer Bible study. And then all of a sudden, they got their turn signal on. They're getting, they're getting about off-ramp to Emmaus. And Jesus was going to keep going. And what did they say to Jesus? No, come with us, please. Don't leave. And what did Jesus do? He came with them into the house. You guys remember this? You guys still with me this morning? Remember this story? And what did they do? They ate. I love that Jesus likes to eat. Isn't that beautiful? He's, he's so awesome, my Jesus. And so all of a sudden they got the food there and Jesus gives thanks and he's breaking the bread and all of a sudden their eyes in the breaking of the bread, they're like, that's... And all of a sudden, where did Jesus go? Gone. And the bread probably hit the table. And they're a jaw dropper for them. And then they turn and look at each other. Remember what they said? It's, it's so, I think it's so insightful and so necessary for us this morning. They said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? Good case of heartburn. Listen, some of you need that this morning. Some of us came in here with a need for a good case of heartburn, and you got it this morning because you put your eyes on Jesus as you listen to the word of God. Some of you are in need of a good case of heartburn, of Jesus stoking that fire back in your heart again. How did Jesus stoke their hearts, bring hope, infuse hope back into their lives, to turn their, their bummer around, to bring joy back into their lives? How did he do it? He took them right back to the Bible. and expounded on all the things concerning him. Can I encourage you to open your Bible tomorrow and read and pray and look for Jesus and say, Lord, I need that. Your word says a bruised reed you will not break and a smoking flax you will not quench. And I've just got a little teeny ember in my heart. Lord, would you stoke that, just like your word says, would you stoke that fire in my heart? And you get away. It's so simple. It's always, listen, it's always coming back to Jesus. not some greater sign and wonder. It's simply coming back to him. I'm not down on signs and wonders. It's, all, it's so simple. He's made it so simple. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. Are you with me? The shepherd. Yeah, I think I heard it over here. The shepherd is not dependent upon the IQ of the sheep. It's coming. Praise God. It's always coming back to him. To let him fill you and to encourage you and to stir up your heart. It's not a personal pep talk in your inbox tomorrow. It's spending time alone with Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in Jesus' name.